Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Keith Walsh podcast. This is episode three. We've had three. We had uh, the Flemings, Tyg and his dad, Derry. I was talking to Tyg today and... Uh, we're going to try and get the, the Fleming girls on a podcast at some stage. So that should be good. Um, and we had my friend Mike on with an episode, another episode from Mike to come as well. And thanks to everybody who's listened to the podcast so far. We didn't quite, as I'm recording this, we haven't quite broke into the top 10. But I'm hopeful. You know, I believe the universe will provide. And uh, we have some great interviews in the bag. Um... The weather here in Ireland today, it's overcast, it rained a lot. The kids have gone to school. I'm up here in my special room with Charlie at my feet, recording the intro. Uh, the state of the nation, we are a nervous lot as the COVID rises. The COVID numbers are rising again. Um, and there is talk of, you know, is there going to be a second lockdown? Dublin is in a sort of a quasi lockdown at the moment. I'm due to be going on tour in November and December, starting rehearsals properly in October, which I still have to finish some of the script for. Um, so I'm nervous if there's a second lockdown. I'm not sure what way we, the tour will happen. Uh, the play, the show is called Pure Mental, so keep an eye out for it. Um, you might come and see it if it is in a theatre near you around the country. We've had, uh, I just had an email about it this morning, we've had some nice bookings, a nice number, so it will be a sort of a semi, semi-national tour, and hopefully COVID will behave itself, and we'll all behave ourselves, and we'll be able to get out and go to theatres and see people in the flesh, not in the flesh, with your clothes on, do you know what I mean, in person, that would be nice. Anyway, let's crack on with the intro for today's episode it is with the legend that is Vicky Phelan. Vicky Phelan at the moment is working on a bill called the Dying with Dignity Bill, which I'll tell you about in a moment. Just who is Vicky Phelan, if you haven't heard from her? Um, in 2011, Vicky Phelan, a mother of two children from Anacotti in County Limerick, underwent a smear test for cervical cancer. Although her test showed no abnormalities, she was diagnosed with cervical cancer in 2014. An internal cervical check review found that the original result had been incorrect, but Phelan was not informed of this fact until 2017. She sued and there was a settlement made uh, at that stage without admission of liability. And from there, she went on to do some great things around um in the area of cervical cancer and the cervical check smear tests and other women who are in the same situation and similar situations to Vicky. And she's been an advocate for fighting 
the system and the power ever since. Um, her book, Vicky Feeling Overcoming, you should read it. It's amazing. She does mention at one point, I mean, that wasn't the only thing she's had to overcome in her life. Um, being told that she is, she has a terminal illness. Uh, she also was involved in a car crash uh, when she was younger. It was a very bad car crash, 1994, and it was the first big thing that happened in her life. And as she said herself, it made her realise she was not invincible and life is not fair. And I suppose maybe she learned from that and grew from that and uh, that has allowed her to grow and become the person she is today, fighting the system. As I said, she's involved in the Dying with Dignity Bill. Um, just to give you a little bit of information on that. A bill entitled An Act to Make Provision for Assistance in Achieving a Dignified and Peaceful End of Life to Qualifying Persons and Related Matters which uh, Vicky Phelan speaks about a little bit in this podcast. Um, so, yeah, I was, I'd have to say, I, it was an awkward interview from my point of view because I felt awkward talking to Vicky, knowing that she had a terminal illness and not being sure of how to ask those questions. And it is, I think we all feel uncomfortable talking to people that we know are dying and talking to people about death. Uh, but I think I learned from Vicky that it's best just to be honest. And if you are wondering how to approach and talk to people um, who are sick or who are dying or who have lost somebody, I think you learn a lot from Vicky. She was very honest, very upfront, refreshing and fun. And we had a bit of crack and we talked about brass. So it wasn't just about death. Um, it wasn't just about what actually happens when you get cervical cancer. Um, we had fun and I really enjoyed talking to her. I hope you enjoy too. This is episode three of the Keith Walsh podcast. Me chatting to the legend that is Vicky Phelan. Hello. I can hear you. Can you hear me? How are you? Hang on now. Do you want video on or not? I'm going to turn off my video now because it will mean that we get a better quality sound. That's, okay, perfect. So that's fine by me. You stay where you, you are. You don't want to see me. I'm in my pyjamas now with my hair scraped back off my head. I didn't even get dressed today. Well, I'm in my shorts. so uh, <laughs> And you've been very busy. More, and I've no excuse, do you know what I mean? So uh, you're, <laughs> you're, I think with the week that's in it, you're allowed... To just being, oh you know. yes, exactly. Well, that's it. On the days I'm at home, I kind of tend to just potter around, and I don't get dressed if I don't have to. So you know, yeah. I, I allow myself that luxury. I, I I am like that as well, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just gonna stop my video there, and we're yeah, sure. recording already. Um, we get we just well. Thank you very much. I I I know you're busy, and I know. My wife said it to me. She said, would you not ask Vicky Phelan? Because this is, I mean, obviously I haven't even brought out an episode yet. And I said, God, really? Do you think Do you think she would? And she said, well, sure, you can, all you can do is ask. And she can say no, or she's too busy, whatever. And I did ask. And you said yes. So I, so thank you. Very That's my motto, Keith. If you don't ask, you don't get, you know. <laughs> thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And, and of course, you're busy at the moment. Can I ask you first, Vicky, where... What, where in Kilkenny are you from? I am now, and because you're a Kilkenny man, you'll know this. I'm South Kilkenny, so I'm Mon the Rose of Monkine, 
That's where I'm from. So neither Waterford really than Kilkenny, but it's still Kilkenny, as you know, with the hurling. It's very important to make that distinction. Yes, you need to be on the correct side of the line there, whichever side of the line. But you're also you've also got a Waterford connection as well. Um, or did I make that up? Or is no, it just that you're near my Waterford? Husband, my husband is half half and half. He's half half a blah and half a Kilkenny person. His mother's from Waterford. And my, uh, sister, my sister has a salon in Waterford. She may as well be from Waterford. Her her hair salon is in Waterford. Queen by Lindsay Kelly. So Queen Queen by Lindsay Kelly. Yeah. Brilliant. I always go to Queen by Lindsay Kelly for my for my <laughs> highlights. Uh, if anyone's wondering, uh, and then and and then to Limerick. So do you only live in hurling strongholds? Is that your? Yeah, kind of actually thinking when you when I saw that question, I thought, yeah, actually, maybe, maybe I'm particularly drawn to that. And of course, my son now, he's uh, nine, Dara, and he's playing for Monlean, which would be a big kind of a hurling stronghold yeah. here, all right. Does he love the hurling? He does, actually, yeah. He plays hurling soccer and Gaelic football. Um, and uh, his favourite would probably be the hurling, I'd say. And uh, obviously, that must be the Kilkenny blood in him, I think. Totally, yeah. And it helps as well if you're, I mean, obviously, he's in Limerick and he's playing hurling in Limerick, but it helps when you're. When you've Kilkenny, do you know what I mean? When you're like, if you're if you're into soccer, and you're, and you're, <laughs> the minute he joined, and we said where we were from, I'm sure the coach said, "Oh Jesus, that's great." He said to get the old bit of Kilkenny blood up here, you know. <laughs> yeah, I grew up in uh, in the Midlands in Athlone, and there was a bit of hurling in Westmead. But uh, my dad and mom being from Kilkenny, sure, I was I was a shoe in for every hurling team going. Of course you were, yeah. Whether I could play or not, that was all other question. Uh, so we, so you're from Kilkenny, so we could be related. We, we must look into that at some stage. Um, can I ask you, how was lockdown for you? A bit of a mix. I think mostly positive, uh, to be honest. Um, I think I realised in lockdown, probably a couple of weeks in, when I looked at my diary and what I was supposed to be doing in March, and March would have been a particularly busy month for me because of um, International Women's Day. I had loads of stuff on and I kind of, after a couple of weeks into lockdown, I looked at my diary and I went, Jesus, there's no way I would have been able to do all that. Like, am I mad? Do you know what I mean? What, what, why am I getting myself into all of this stuff? But I find it very hard to say no, particularly if it's something, talks that I get asked to do for charities or for good causes. Do you know, I mean, I can say no more easily to media requests where it's just kind of, you know, there's no particular angle, whereas like at the moment, obviously, I'm really busy with the Dying with Dignity Bill. So I've been on the radio already three times this morning. So, um, you know, if, if it's something that's close to my heart, I, I, I find it very hard to say no. So from that point of view, lockdown was great. Gave me a chance to kind of uh, actually relax and, you know, mind myself, which I probably wasn't doing enough of, to be honest. And then the other good thing about lockdown for me was... Um, getting to spend more time with the kids, do you know? I mean, the fact that the kids weren't in school um, gave us more time together, which in my book is always a good thing with my condition, you know? It, it's great to get quality time with the children because when they're in school and they're doing all their activities, you know, when you add it all up, you don't see them as often because you're only seeing them then in the evenings or nighttime when they're going to bed, you know? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was, it was sort of imposed uh, family time, quality family time, and... Uh, it was yeah, it was interesting. It was kind of like there was definitely a period in this house of it's kind of like when we go on holidays together and we've got two weeks together. There's always I always find like there's there's a bit of there's, there's the initial excitement of a few days and then there's a massive row 
<laughs> where there, there's absolute killings like like and you you could almost like time this it's per, three days in and it's it's it, it's the, it clears the air do you know what i mean yeah totally totally get that um yeah and then like my daughter is a teenager she's 14 now she'll be she's what am i saying 14 she's 15 she's 15 now since the end of august um but, uh, you know, it's hard now to deal with the teenagers. So don't get me wrong. We have plenty of rows as well, um, particularly with the hormones raging here at home. But, uh, you know, the other, I suppose, the, the downside to lockdown, I found, I suppose, um, like many people in my condition, I suppose, people I know who I've spoken to who are, you know, terminally ill, is, you know, you're losing out on time uh, with, with family and friends. So, I mean, I hadn't seen my parents um, from the start of lockdown until the end of June, which was very hard for me not to see them, you know. Um, and I know Ruth Morrissey, who died in July, you know, one of the big things that really uh, affected her hugely with lockdown was, uh, you know, she was hoping to make her daughter's communion and had lockdown not happened, she would have been able to make it. You know, the communion had been scheduled for April um, and she lockdown, you know, just got rid of all of that. And, you know, it, it, it was an awful blow for her. So. There were downsides to it as well, you know, um, particularly, I suppose, in my condition where you really are trying to kind of, you know, make as many memories as you can. And where are you at now, Vicky, with, with your health? Um, I'm doing OK. Uh, I had uh, results of the scan there, uh, which kind of were a bit disappointing. It's the first time I've had a little bit of increase uh, and I've one new tumour. Uh, now we're talking small, Keith, uh, you know, they're millimetres, which is good. Uh, what you don't want to hear is you've got, you know, a big whopper of a, you know, tumour in centimetres. So these are millimetres we're talking about, which is very small um, and hopefully manageable. But at the same time, it's the first time I've had a scan where the results haven't been stable. So it's always a worry, you know, and I've been kind of bracing myself for it for every time I have a scan. But you're never ready, really, when it comes, you know, so... It's a bit of a blow, so it's kind of been a hard week now. And the week then that I get the bloody results, you know, it's the same week that I'm launching the Dying with Dignity Bill. So the irony is not lost on me, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's all there. Uh, you're, you know, you're living it every... I mean, obviously you're living it every day, but there's no... With the Dying with Dignity Bill, you're like... I mean, I, I, you really are... I mean, I have to admire you, and I don't, I don't want to patronize in any way but um i just think to, to you're really leaning into what's going on which is so admirable because i uh, per personally i don't know whether i'd run away i don't know how i'd i don't think anybody knows how to handle it but to, you really are leaning into it and you really are making the most of 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 your situation and, and, and what you're being asked to do and what you're you know what you're looking to do i mean do you does it am i patronizing by saying that do you feel do you ever do you ever feel it yourself no this this is this is good that i'm doing good and i'm making the most of my time um do you know i think what's helped keith to be honest uh, is all of the experiences that i've had over the years you know i've had a lot of shit thrown at me now to put it mildly and every one of those experiences shapes you and you know, you deal with things either better or worse, depending on, you know, how you, how you dealt with something before. And sometimes, you know, with, with what's happened to me, it's, it's, you know, in some, for some people, it might be the only blow they've had to deal with in their life. But for me, you know, this is only one in a list of 
a long list of stuff that I've had to kind of take on the chin. So, you know, what I learned, I suppose, from my past experiences and, and, and the, you know, the previous kind of traumas that have happened in my life um, is, you know, I, I haven't always dealt with them well. You know, I, I, you know I've, I've suffered terribly from depression over the years. Um, and a lot of anger and bitterness kind of led to that depression, really, you know, and resentment. Um, and I know that that is not the way that uh, I, I, if I go down that road of getting very angry and very bitter, it leads to depression. So I knew this time around I couldn't go down that road again. So I had to try and find a different way. And, you know, that way was helping other people. And I found as soon as I did start helping other people and speaking out, actually, you know, and actually speaking out about, you know, the tough things that people don't like talking about, like death, like, you know, the horrible side effects from this disease, um, you know, incontinence, not being able to have sex, all of these things, which, you know, people don't like talking about. As soon as I started talking about all of that and, and opening up a conversation and people came to me, you know, with their problems and then came to me kind of thanking me for, you know, helping them to deal with this. It just made a huge difference to me. It, you know, it, it, it made me feel that what I'm doing is, is bigger than me, but also kind of made me feel better about myself. Do you know what I mean? And, and, you know, honest to God, I haven't had a day's depression in two years, which for me is amazing, you know, so it, it helps me, you know, helping others helps me. That's the only way I can, describe it I suppose. And I, did, I, I did want to say to you that like do you take any solace from the fact that you've done more you've already done more than most people would with the with a longer life or with more time or I, I had a I had a weird experience a, a few months ago and I've been dealing with some I've been going to therapy and dealing with my own hmm. head for a while and I had an experience the other day where I, I had a moment, I had a, a moment of clarity where I was looking around and I was thinking about everything. I was looking at my family and I was thinking, and I had this weird moment where I thought, and I did, I, it wasn't a death wish, right? it wasn't anything depressed. I just said, do you know what? If, it ha if, if I died now, do you know what? I'm content. And it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was the first time I kind of thought, I'm not afraid, I'm not, I'm not afraid anymore. And what I love about you is we're, we're afraid to talk about the thing that we're all, we're all facing and nobody knows when. Mm. And I just love the honesty. But do you take any solace from the fact that you've done so much and you've done more than others would, would do with a longer life? Or, or... Yeah, I do. I, I think that's probably why, you know, I'm more accepting, you know, of what lies ahead for me in that I think most people, if you get, if you, if you know that you're going to die and you, you haven't achieved much in your life, and I don't mean that by success, you know, I'm not measuring people's achievements by, you know, a good job and all of that, but in their own minds, if they haven't, you know, done what they thought kind of, you know, they could achieve or, um, you know, if they, if they had, you know, bad family relationships or had you know not spoken to their brother or sister in years and you get a terminal illness it really gives you it's, it, that, that's the word you used there earlier on it's clarity you know terminal illnesses and knowing that you're going to die fairly soon gives you massive clarity and it also clears away all the bullshit and it it makes you realize what's important and I suppose that's one of the reasons I've been able to um, achieve as much as I have I think in the last two and a half years because I have just kind of you know 
I don't really care what people think of what of me, uh, particularly, or of what I say, um, or how I'm perceived. You know, I'm not worried about what other people think of me. You know what I mean? Um, and that makes my message much clearer and much easier to get across uh, because I'm not worried about anybody else um, except the message, you know, and the message getting across. And that is, you know, depending on the message, you know, whether it's, you know, for people in Ireland to stand up for themselves and ask more questions of their doctors um, or in this instance with the Dying with Dignity Bill, you know, to allow people like me to, to die a peaceful death. Um, you know, I've made all of the decisions, the big decisions about my treatment. Uh, if I hadn't, you know, gone down the road of looking for the treatment I'm on now, I'd most certainly be dead, you know. Um, so my my thing is, you know, I've made these decisions for myself, you know, why would my death be any different? You know, why should I be dying in agony, you know, particularly when I've got two small children. So, yeah, I, I, I kind of think when, when, you, when you're in a situation like mine um, and you don't have the worry about what other people think about what you're saying, like when I go on television or on radio, you know, I'm not worried about what people think or how I sound, you know, I, I'm more, you know, what's important to me is, is the message. Um, and, and that always gets across. And I think that's why I've managed to achieve what I have done over the last while. Yeah, I mean, it just, it's really speaks to just cutting through the bullshit. And, and, and it's, you know, something I've experienced and I've tried to explain to my wife sometimes. I'm like, if just, I'm just, I'm, I, I, I'm spending too much time dealing with people who aren't telling me what they actually think. And it's frustrating and it's it, there's too much fake and i just i mean i obviously you you you've your honesty for a reason but it just really cuts through it's really it really stands out and part of me wanting to do this podcast was just to have genuine real conversations with people without any bullshit maybe have a bit of crack but just a genuine conversation and that's all that's beginning to become all i'm interested in so good i'm delighted to hear it because I, I agree with you keith i think there's too many bullshitters out there um and it's like sometimes you know i, I you know i might say something an off-the-cuff remark um <laughs> about some of our politicians and you know people will text me afterward and say oh god did you, you know you might get in trouble for that and i say well why would i get in trouble you know our politicians are not up on pedestals we're allowed to criticize them um, you know, I'm being honest, you know, I, I'm stating facts, you know, and generally I, I don't have digs at people just to have digs at people. I'm usually having a dig for a reason, you know, so and, and that's, I think when you're coming from a place and people know that, I mean, I'm not, um, I generally try and keep emotion out of it. Um, I kind of focus on the facts, but you know, if, if somebody needs to be called out, I'll call them out and I'm not worried about it. You know what I mean? We, we, need, we need a lot more of that. The, so tell me then if you're, Okay, so 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 as a young man or as a young as a kid or whatever, you, you, somebody says to you something. I don't want this to come across as glib, but someone says, "Okay, well, you know, you've, you've got a year to live. What would you do?" The, I don't think that. I think you're the only person that has started to get across to people, especially in Ireland, the reality of that last time. As you mentioned, that you, there's certain things you can't do, you can't have sex the incontinence, the reality of what you have to deal with in that last time, plus trying to make the most of your time. I mean, what is it you would tell people about the last months, the last year? What is the reality? Um, as in uh, when it gets to the stage where you're dying? 
Well, I don't know really. I'm just wondering. I mean, you're talking about you're 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 talking about the dying with dignity bill. Mm. Like, at what point will you be thinking? Okay, if if you get your wish, do you know the time and do you, do you know where you'll be physically uh -huh. when when you decide? Okay, this is next Thursday is the day. <coughs> Yes, I know exactly what you mean now. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm being uh, awkward about no, it. No, I'm no, being no. Irish about it. I was just going to say, be blunt about it. Like I am. Just <laughs> ask the question. Because honestly, no, it's funny. You know, I often do interviews and, and, and I get asked, right, is there anything that we can't ask you? Or, you know, what topics can we not ask you about? And I'm there, well, nothing. You know, I'll answer any questions you ask me. And, and that is pretty much it. You know, and I think that's the way we need to be a bit more like that in this country. And, you know, be open and honest and talk about things and not worry about um, offending somebody. You know, I mean, I am terminally ill. Um, so these are things I think about on a daily basis. Do you know what I mean? For me, Keith, I suppose, and I've said this a few times in interviews because I don't want people to think that if this bill was passed tomorrow, that I'd be, you know, taking this drug and, and you know, dying. You'd be, you'd be off. Absolutely not. I have a great quality of life at the moment, Keith. I'm not in a hospital. I'm not in a hospice. Yes, I have, you know, a certain amount of aches and pains, uh, but, you know, my pain management um, is fine at the moment. I'm on pain patches for that. Um, I do get tired, but it's nothing that doesn't stop me. You know, I went off walking the other day with a friend of mine on the Cliffs of Moor. So, you know, yes, I was wrecked after it, but, you know, I, I take the day after then to kind of um, relax, you know, so I know what I need to do for my own body. I would be um, taking this drug to end my life literally when I'm at the end of my life. So you're talking literally the last week or two of life. So usually, you know, women in my situation, uh, and it happened with Ruth, uh, Morrissey uh, and Emma Vikvahona, you know, most women in my situation end up either in a hospice or a hospital because there are so many complications with this cancer when you come to the end of life between bowel obstructions, uh, you know, they have to have procedures done, you end up getting sepsis, infections, like there's an awful lot of complications towards the end of life. And that's why I want to have the choice to go before everything becomes, you know, unmanageable and I'm in an awful lot of pain and I don't want my children to see me like that. And I don't know if you've seen anybody dying, Keith, but if you have, you'll know what I'm talking about when I say there's a particular sound that people make when they're dying in the last, you know, usually two or three days. It's called the death rattle. There's actually a name on it. And uh, I remember the first time I heard it uh, and it was an elderly relative of mine. And I swear it never left me that sound. And I, I, I don't want that for my kids. You know, I don't want my kids to see me dying, lingering on and making those kind of sounds because it's traumatic. You know, people have contacted me since I started speaking out about this and about the reality of dying. And, and with their stories saying, you know, one, one woman was 10 when her mother died and she said she has never been able to forget the, the pain her mother was in and the sounds, in that sound, that particular sound when somebody is dying. Um, so for me, you're talking, you know, my la literally my last week on this earth and all I want is just to hasten that so that I don't end up, uh, you know, in a morphine-induced coma, uh, making all those horrible sounds uh, to make my passing easier and to make it easier for my children. That's all I'm asking. Well, it makes complete sense to me. I, ha I, was, I had a conversation with my wife the other day and she was going, she was sort of like, she was like, well, surely they wouldn't, surely they'd let you, surely they have things in place that, you know, would make it, if you're very, if you're that sick that they just, and I was like, I don't think they do. I don't think, I, th I think it's, I think it can be very, very painful and, and hard yeah. at, at the very end. 
it is that's it you see i mean there's only so much medication they can give you and, and what happens is if they can't get on top of your pain and it has happened and it does happen in particular with this cancer they have to put you in an induced coma you know they just have to put you in a morphine induced coma and then you know your family is just waiting until you know, nature takes its course and that could take from between a few you know a couple of days to 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 a week or more and you know, I've, I've seen people in that situation and it's not nice, Keith, and I, I don't want that from me. I mean, is it not more humane to, I mean, at, at the end of the day, you know, doctors are prescribing a huge amount of morphine to put somebody into co coma until they die. What's the difference between that and giving me enough drugs just to knock me out totally so I don't have to be lingering, lingering like that? That's my point. Well, you won't get an argument from me. Uh, I think the people should be allowed to decide whatever they need to do to, 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 uh, to exit. I mean... <laughs> And are you spiritual? Um, I don't know if I'm spirit. I mean, I'm, I'm not religious. I don't believe in God. Um, but I do believe that there are something happens. I think, you know, whether it's an afterlife <clears throat> or whatever you want to call it. But I do believe in angels or, you know, there's too many stories, I think, of people who have these kind of um, experiences of somebody dying and maybe a robin appearing or a butterfly or, or, or things happening that are too coincidental to explain away. And one of my aunts, Tina, has, uh, I'd call it a gift. She sees things before they happen. Um, and she's the one who has said that she has seen me on the Golden Gate Bridge in 2025. And I hopefully believe her, you know, that's keeping me going at the moment. Wow. Um, but she saw my accident before it happened. She woke up um, and, and uh, you know, when she got up the, the morning before they got the phone call from France to say that I had been involved in a really bad car crash, she told uh, her mother, you know, that there was something wrong with me. Something had happened to me. So she knew it before it happened. So, you know, I do think there's people who have these gifts. And one of the things that happened to me after my car crash, actually, when I was, um, I was pronounced clinically dead for, I don't know, 30 or 40 seconds. Um, and my father told me I, they had me in an induced coma for about 10 days after the accident because I was in so much pain and I had so much, um, so many injuries. Um, my dad said, I told him a story while I was hallucinating on these drugs, um, that my grandmother appeared to me and told me it wasn't my time, you know, and I mean, why would I make a story like that up unless it happened? Do you know? So I, I do believe that there's something out there. I think I have to as well. I'd like to think that I'd be able to watch over my kids. I suppose you know, uh, and that kind of keeps me going. Yeah, I, I would, I, I definitely would believe it. I went to see. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't have been terribly spiritual for a while. I did. I went to see a fortune teller, um, and I, and and she was able to just tell me about somebody that was kind of looking out for me, and it was just there was too much coincidence. Yeah. There was too many things. Like she mentioned. Like even like, she convinced me. Do you know? She, yeah. mentioned, she mentioned the archangel Michael. You know, and I was like, "How did you, you know?" And it's a stupid thing, but I was like, "That was my favorite angel when I was young." You know, when I was when, hey, I, was, yeah. when I was nine, I had this book of angels, and I loved the archangel Michael. You know, it was like they were like my uh, ninja turtles. You know. Yeah. And when she mentioned the archangel Michael, I was like, "What? That's he was my favorite and there was just a few things about and even like i was talking she said uh, she was talking to me she started talking about prayer and i was a little bit eye rolly you know and but she she said that she said the rosary is the most powerful prayer you know and i'm now in the process of of, of looking for a pair of rosary beads and i'm really i'm really thinking about it because i meditate anyway and i'm like you know maybe yeah. and it, it it would be foolish 
to discount all of these things and all of this stuff. And I just, I mean, I totally agree with you. Like there's, there, there has to be something. There is, and there are people, as you said, that just know stuff and can see stuff and, and we're not, yeah. we're not intelligent enough to discount all that stuff. You know? Absolutely not. Uh, and I think it's something, you know, it's, it's nice to have something to hold on to too, because I think if you just thought you were, you know, um, once you die, that's it. I think it would be very, it's very hard to accept it. Then, you know, it, it makes it harder to think that that's it, that there's, you know, a fine line and, and you'll never, it's not that you, you know, you think you'll never see your children again or never see the people you love again, but I think it's nice to have something to hold on to, to think that in some shape or form, you could come back and keep an eye on them, you know? So when you, are when the stress levels are up up to 10 and beyond what do you do what's your what do you do to relax i mean i know you mentioned the beach and water yeah my place is water anywhere with water is is what calms me so i would always gravitate to the water and i'm lucky i suppose that when i'm not near the beach um, i live uh, very close to ul um, to the university of limerick and that's, uh, you know, there's a beautiful walk all along the River Shannon. Um, so that's where I go when I'm at home for my walks. I go down by the river. Um, and when I'm not at the river, then I'm at the beach. So for me, it's always been water. And I think it's, you know, it goes back to when, where I grew up. My dad, um, his family were all fishermen. They were all brought up, you know, we were all reared down by the river. Um, like I disappeared at the age of three, myself and the dog. And I was found literally sitting at the edge of the water with the waves lapping up, <laughs> me and the dog. So, you know, I obviously gravitated towards water from an early age. So that that really does it for me. And when I can't get there, Keith, you know, what I do is I record the sound of the waves at my favorite beach. And that does it for me. Then when I'm at home, I can just throw on the headphones and listen to that and kind of calm me down. Um, and therapy, is that something that you... That you do you have a, a regular therapist counselor? Is that something that you've? I mean, I presume that you you you've had some therapy. Oh, I have uh, over the years. I have, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, I would have went to counselors um, and you know therapists over the years, but there were times when I couldn't, Keith, because I couldn't afford it. It was as simple as that. Because you yeah. know, you're saying, a lot of these things are really expensive, and um, like I suppose at the the height of my depression when it was really bad we were in a situation where Jim wasn't in work and my husband he was in college and there was only my salary and we had a big mortgage so I mean I couldn't afford to go to therapy Um, I was lucky that the, the, where I worked um, we had an, an employee assistance program which allowed for eight sessions per year and by god did I use them every year you know but once the eight were up then you know that was it I couldn't kind of avail of it so there was telephone stuff I could do um, but that was it. And what I kind of learned over the years that I've always done um, is I, I've always kept a journal. You know, I have box loads of them, and which helped when I was writing the book, to be honest. Um, but I would write um, a, a dump a lot of what is in my head um, onto a page. And at least I feel then that's gone, you know, and I can kind of park it. So that was another thing I would have done um, to help me um, deal with stuff over the years. So that was a form of therapy for me. So journaling. Um, but I also did things like acupuncture. Um, I did a lot of acupuncture um, when, when I had depression. Um, and I found that to be very, um, you know, very good as well. Uh, and also as a woman, I think a lot of women would probably relate to this. I have really good friends who I can talk to about pretty much anything. So, you know, my friends would be great for offloading a lot of this stuff as well. So, um, you know, I, I use them as well for, for, for that. And, and it's great. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a very important thing that you that you you bring up uh, finance and money, especially with you know, people who are very sick or people who are terminally ill. We don't really think about it. It's not like suddenly you're looked after. Um, it's expensive, I presume. Exactly. I mean, the the Irish Cancer Society actually brought out a report, I think it was last year, and one of the things about the financial implications, like it was a report into, in, into that, they surveyed loads of people who had had cancer. And that was one of the huge issues for most people is finance when you get cancer. Now, I was very lucky. I worked in the public sector. So when I got sick, um, I got my full pay when I was out um, for the first 12 months when I got sick the first time. When I got sick the second time, I think I got half pay, but at least I got, you know what I mean? I, I, I was getting paid. I mean, if you work in the private sector, or I'm sure it's the same in the media industry, Keith, you know, if you got cancer, I guarantee, I'm sure you wouldn't get paid when you were out on sick leave. And uh, no more than my sister. My sister's a hairdresser. You know, she wouldn't get paid if she was out, uh, you know, on sick leave with cancer. And that is the case for most people in this country. So, I mean, you know, on top of having to deal with getting your head around, you know, having cancer and going for treatment and losing your hair and all of the horrible side effects that go with the cancer. A lot of people have to deal with the financial implications of, you know, not having enough money coming in to pay mortgages and, and bills and buy shoes for kids going back to school and all of that stuff. And it's horrendous. It really is. I mean, to have that stress on top of being so sick, I just can't. I mean, <laughs> to, honestly, you're ruining my childhood's imagination of, of you know the, you know the, the, that question of you have one year left to live I'd be like okay I'd live in I'd, I'd fly to Florida and I'd travel <laughs> Australia it's just it's you're ruining it for me um but the, I mean it's what's great about this is and what's great about you is like the realities of these things are it should be talked about more it should be we sh we need to be oh, more honest with each other about these things because it's we 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 shy away from it because we're afraid and we don't think it will help but it it does help. Yeah, it does one hundred percent. And I've said this in numerous interviews over the last two years that you know sometimes people are afraid that they'll say the wrong thing. You can never say the wrong thing. Saying nothing is worse than saying the wrong thing. To be honest, because I found that some people would you know you know they've seen you, you know, if you were at the school gates or if you were, you know, walking down to the shops and you know that somebody has seen you, but they won't come over because they don't know what to say. That's actually worse than, you know, coming over and maybe being a bit awkward. And, you know, all you have to do is say, well, how are you? You know, there's no point ignoring the fact that I have cancer. You, you know what I mean? You have to acknowledge it. And I'd always say that to people, you know, if you find out that somebody, you know, a neighbor has cancer, you know, acknowledge it and see, is there anything you can do to help them? You know, some things like, and often it's small things that help people. Uh, so for me at the time when I got diagnosed first, um, you know, neighbours were making dinners um, and bringing things in or bringing my kids to the you know, hurling training or whatever. And that meant the world to me, you know, so I was able to go to bed and, and rest for a couple of hours. And I didn't have to worry about trying to cook a dinner, you know, with the nausea and all of that, you know, um, they make a huge difference to people. They really do. Yeah, I just think honesty is never a bad thing. And uh I think also if you can be uh, like what, like I talk about my, about going to therapy and stuff, and I, I just think it's better for me to show my vulnerability that it might encourage other people. And I because I know that there's a there's almost a history of in Ireland of people feeling like they have to suffer in silence. 
like if you were able to come out and talk about the financial problems that, that you, you might be very sick, but you'll also have your financial problems, that it, it almost takes the shame away from people. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things I, I was quite open about that in the book because I wanted to show that side of things. I mean, I was at the point where I was, you know, willing to sell my wedding and engagement rings because we were so broke, you know, and little did I know I wouldn't get much money for them. But, you know, that's how bad things were, Keith, you know. So I think, you know, we have to be more open about the, the realities of, of, of living with something like this. There's no shame in saying that, you know, you haven't got enough money to pay the mortgage uh, and to get a bit of help. And that's why I got involved. We have a local cancer support group here where I live. Um, and, you know, we provide money to people uh, who are going through cancer, uh, no questions asked, or we pay for their uh, um, shopping bills. You know, we have a deal with a couple of the supermarkets where we, you know, there would be an agreement that we would pay the money because often people don't want the money exchanging hands or, or, you know, they feel like it's charity, whereas if it's kind of taken away from them, well, then it's easier for them to accept. So, you know, there's ways and means around it or, or somebody might really appreciate having their lawn cut, you know, that especially if it's, if it's a man that gets cancer, you know, all the male jobs, then, you know, sometimes they're the things that need to be done around the house. So it's, it's small things that make the difference to people. What's the name of that organisation, Vicky? Um, they're just a local one, Mona Lean just- support group but there's loads of them around the country um, and one of the things I did in Munkhine actually where I'm from you know the people in Munkhine where I'm from were very good to me um, after I got uh, re-diagnosed when I was trying to get onto the clinical trial and this was before my court case happened before I got my settlement so you know I was adamant then when my settlement came through that I wanted to give them back the money that they donated so I said you know that I'd love to give back the money but that they would set up a similar support group in the village so they have you know they set up a support group for other people in the village who get diagnosed with cancer so it means it's helping other people which is great yeah it's brilliant we we don't like we don't like noisy troublemakers here in Ireland not not just not just the people in power but we <laughs> like like you, your neighbors get sort of antsy don't they they kind of get Oh, Vicky, will you, God, you just, you know, we don't, why don't we like it? What's wrong with us? I don't know. Do you know, I think, back, I think it goes back to our Catholic upbringing, you know, um, or, or, you know, the saying that children should be seen and not heard. I think that's just in general, Irish people probably feel like that, that, you know, you know, don't talk about these things, you know, um, it's funny, uh, you know, I had this conversation with, with a couple of um, uh, people and, people really appreciate it. You know, you think they don't, some people don't. And, you know, I'll always get the people who kind of think that I speak too openly about these things or I shouldn't be talking about these things. But on the whole, you know, the amount of messages and cards I get from women and men you know, across the country about, uh, you know, opening up a conversation about, um, you know, particularly, uh, I suppose, with the type of cancer I have um, and, and men with prostate cancer will find the same thing. You know, you can't have sex. I mean, some people can and, and you know, I, I you know, take my hat off to the women who can persevere uh, with the type of cancer we have, because, you know, if you do persevere with it, it's going to be very painful and you're going to bleed. I mean, that's the reality, you know, with this cancer. Um, and But there are some women then who can't um, can't contemplate having sex again because um, uh, you know, after successive surgeries and radiation, they're left literally with no vagina, Keith. Like, that's the reality, you know. And I've had a lot of men with prostate cancer who have had the surgery um, uh, to, for the aggressive type of prostate cancer um, who would be in the same position, like they can't get an erection uh, ever again. So, I mean, these are things we have to talk about because on the whole, most of the women that are affected by cervical cancer are all young women, you know what I mean? And, and 
you know, what you're supposed to just accept this and, and uh, you know, not talk about the fact that, um, you know, you can't have sex anymore. You, do you know what I mean? I think these are the conversations that we need to be able to have. And for women who are going for their smear tests, the amount of women who said to me, oh my God, I never realized, you know, cervical cancer was so bad that the side effects were so horrendous and the treatment is so bad. And I said, yeah, neither did I. And, you know, that's why I speak so openly about it because I wish somebody had told me how bad it was, you know? Well, Vicky, I'm married, so I don't have to worry about sex. Uh, so, um, <laughs> I, jo- I jest. Um, so, are there conversations about young women uh, who can't have sex happening elsewhere, and is it helping, or are they finding solutions, or is there is there things you can do, or is it just that's is it kind of like okay, you can't have sex again? That's that. So what we've put in place for um, the women affected by the cervical check um, scandal, you know, we have a support group obviously set up for those women and uh, there's a support package in place for those women. And and what we've done a lot of is we've done a lot of workshops with sex therapists um, and, uh, you know, on the back of that, then more generally across the country, the Irish Cancer Society um, set up a new um, kind of a support mechanism for women with gynecological cancer. So not just cervical, it could be ovarian, endometrial, any gyne type cancer, because this affects all women with any type of a gyne cancer. Um, so there's supports available now for women across the country um, on the back of what has happened, you know, with what has been brought out, uh, you know, from the cervical check scandal. I don't think there was a huge understanding um, of the huge side effects that are involved with this. So one simple thing that has already happened is when you have cervical cancer and you have to have this particular type of treatment where they radiate your insides uh, called brachytherapy, they give you this little bag of tricks and they're called dilators um, and they're hard plastic, uh, you know, dilators are like vibrators without the pleasure basically. So they're white, clinically plastic, white, hard plastic um things in varying sizes you know so you start with the smallest and you move your way up and you get that in the bag you get this you know four or five dilators in different sizes with a little thing of um lubricant and you're supposed to you know try and keep your vagina open for uh internal exams but also then if you want to try and have a sex life after treatment has finished what these are hard plastic Keith and I remember looking at them and I resented them from day one and I thought Jesus Christ like how am I supposed to get that inside me do you know with the pain um, and, and, and believe me there was a certain an awful lot of pain involved and one of the things uh, that we now have managed for them to fund is that these dilators now going forward for women are silicone I mean you know this is not rocket science do you know why they weren't getting feedback from women on these things to find out how they were getting on with them and how painful they were. And for somebody to realize, well, you know, maybe something a bit softer might work a bit better. So now they provide silicone ones. So, I mean, these are small little things that make all the difference to women, you know? And there again, the very reason why we should be talking about these things so that it's not a group of men, male doctors sitting in a room deciding that if you, if you put some pla- a ring of plastic into your vagina, and then put a bigger one into your vagina the week later, that that will, you know, it's, yeah, exactly. that's why it's important that we talk about these things, because this is all news to me, Vicky, to be honest yeah, with you. Okay. I, I, it's news to most women, to be honest, Keith, you know, I mean, it's terrible to say it, but it is, unless you, unless you get diagnosed with cervical cancer, this is not something you're going to know about. You know, I certainly didn't know anything about it until I got into this situation, you know? Well, I'm learning, I'm learning a lot. Um, the uh, 
Now, the, the, biggest, the biggest hurdle you've had to come overcome in your life has been your love of the band Bross. Where are you at with that now at the moment, Vicky? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah, I, I, was, I was half tempted to kind of... Uh, to, to be cool. I, You're going to be yeah. cool and say, oh, yeah, I love ACDC or something. Yeah, and I just thought, no, do you know what? I'm honest about everything in my life. And I thought, do you know what? Anyway, one of my friends probably would have shamed me and said, what about Bross? Um, yeah, I mean, look, I was probably 12 or 13 when Bross were massive back in 1987, 88. I think that was it, something like that. Yeah. Um, now, I have to say, I would still pay money to go see Matt Goss in Broadway, or not in Broadway, in Las Vegas. Doesn't he have a residency in Las Vegas? He does. Did, 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 yeah. you, watch, did you watch the documentary? I did. Of course I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> did you? Yeah. And did you wear all of the, the white t-shirts, the, the, the black shoes, the, the torn jeans, all of that? I was, I looked more like the third guy. What's his name? Uh, oh, great. Yeah. So I had the bomber jacket and oh, I, I had a white roll down uh, t-shirt or white t-shirt, blue jeans, turnips. And I didn't quite have the garage bottle tops, but I had, I had Doc Martens usually. But as a man, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be brave like you and admit that I also had a fondness for brass at a certain age. Yeah, yeah, no, I I mean they were drop dead gorgeous. Now, in fairness, the twins. So I mean, you know, any girls my age would have um, loved them, uh, and and they looked different. You know, the way they dressed, they had a certain look about them. Um, I mean, my parents um, even made a template. You know, the brass logo with the one guy in the middle and the other two standing. Of course, I do. Yeah. Like my parents made a template of that and my mother knit me a jumper with the brass logo on the back and my dad made me a desk, which I kept in my room until I was studying for my leaving cert with the brass logo on it. <laughs> that is brilliant. I didn't, I didn't, my parents didn't go quite that far. I did have the posters and I did have the smash hit posters in my room. Yeah. I'm, I'm not even going to tell, I was talking to a fella called Dave Fanning the other day. I was trying to line, line up an interview with him and I was saying that I was going to be talking to you and, I, and, and Bross came up and he, he started, he was like, it was like, what kind of world was she living in that there wasn't something else she could have been listening to other than brass? And I said, Dave, we were young. We were young, Dave. But yeah, no, he'd, he'd, no, he'd no sympathy for us. He's too hard. Now, I, I, I moved on now, in fairness. <laughs> I developed better musical taste as I got older. But as I say, I would still go pay money to see Mike Goss in, in Las Vegas, definitely. I think I was, if I was in Vegas and he was there, I might, I might, I might go to see him. So, so, what, so where's your musical taste at now? Then, would you, do you listen to music? Do you, put, do you put time aside, or is it something that just you, you throw on if you're in the car? I do. I generally, it's in the car generally. Or if I'm down in the kitchen and I'm cooking, I would throw on music. I always love listening to music when I'm cooking um, uh, or in the car. That's generally when I would listen to music most. Or if I'm having treatment, actually. I'm up in Vincent's um I bought myself a really decent pair of noise cancelling headphones um because you know one of the things about being in a hospital is you know all the hospital sounds and beeping machines and I just thought you know what I just want to kind of go up do my treatment forget about you know the whole hospital medical world and kind of tune it out so I would I, and they were the best buy ever so I usually either listen to music or I listen to books so that's kind of what I gen generally tend to listen to or when um before I, I let you go, I, I, I'm, I'm going to try and ask all my guests to pick a couple of songs for the, uh, for the podcast playlist, which will go up on Spotify. Uh, so where are you at now with your music? If you had to pick two songs that represented you, Vicky, what would well, you go for? Songs, uh, they change from day to day, I suppose. Of course, like, yeah. You know, 
the two songs I think that I'd pick for at the moment for how I'm feeling anyway are, are Learning to Fly by Tom Petty. I love that song. I've always loved that song. Um, it reminds me, I suppose, I have great memories listening to this song back in the 90s. Um, they were kind of, a, I suppose, a good period of my life before things started happening and the shit hit the fan. So, you know, kind of life was more carefree. I had no other worries other than having enough money for beer and going out. <clears throat> and um, but actually when I listen to the song now apart from kind of you know bringing back great memories I find the lyrics kind of really describe my life to a T really you know um, there's one kind of uh, verse there where they say, the lyrics are some say life will beat you down break your heart steal your crown so I've started out for God knows where I guess I'll know when I get there and that really could describe my life to a T you know yeah it's brilliant brilliant Tom Petty excellent well that's going yeah. in the playlist Daniel. Anyway. yeah you're allowed to put that one in all right, that's allowed. Okay, the other one then <laughs> is I'm a huge fan of The Stunning. I've always loved The Stunning from when I was probably about 17, 16, 17 was the first time I saw them. And um, I've become really good friends with Steve Wall actually over the last couple of years. And the band actually came down to play a private gig for me in June 2018, um, which I will always treasure. And all my friends um, were there. And it was the night I was after getting the news that my tumours had shrunk by 50%. So it was just a magical night. So they mean an awful lot to me, the band. But we were, I was doing a couple of things on Twitter and uh, Steve put up a tweet to say that uh, a song that he wrote with Joe when he was in the walls called Some Kind of a Girl, and I love that song anyway, um, reminded him of me. So I listened back to it again and I went, Jesus, yeah, you know, that really um, does kind of, and he wrote it about his mother actually. But um, again, the lyrics kind of are very apt, I think, um, and, and really kind of describe me to a T, I suppose. So that kind of brought me back again to, you know, back to my teenage years. So they're the two songs I'd pick at the moment. Brilliant, great choices. And uh, some kind of girl, that's the walls as opposed to stunning, is it? That's the walls, yeah. yeah. Um, I have to say, Joe and Steve, they, they, I've met them a few times and uh, I, you wouldn't meet two nicer people in the whole, the whole industry, like not just the music industry, media, life. Ah, they're they're thoughts, just yeah. very nice, nice men. And uh, I really like them and I, and, uh, you were very lucky to have them play a gig for you. Oh, um, I know. I'm telling you, we just made some night of it. It was fantastic. And I, you know, thanked them from the bottom of my heart. And it was a fantastic night. Great memories. Uh, Vicky, I really appreciate you using the time and giving me your, some of your time. I, like, I genuinely appreciate you giving me some of your time. Because uh, I know what, that, what time means to you at the moment. And I really appreciate you being so honest. Um, and it was an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And I'm going to... And I'm going to take your baton of honesty and run with it. Good. Um, and keep doing what you're doing. And, and maybe, maybe I'll, I'll try and join you in the Golden Gate Bridge in 2025. And uh, maybe the walls will be there as well. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? We'll have a party or something. Oh, well, thank you, Keith. That was a pleasure now talking to you today. And, you know, look, I, I love doing these kind of chats because... Um, Sometimes I find with the kind of the real serious ones where you're, you know, kind of arguing a point or, you know, something has happened in the dial, you know, there's only so much you can get across. Whereas I think conversations like this, like, you know, exactly what you said, real, honest, open conversations, people tend to tune in more to that and they might be more inclined to kind of say, yeah, do you know what? I'm going to take her advice now and I'll do that or, you know, I'll, I'll open up and, you know, I'll start talking or you know, admit that there's a problem. I, you know, I just think if, if it helps one person, Keith, it's worth it. That's the way I feel yeah. about these things. Well, you've helped loads of people and, and yeah, if someone listens to this, that's, and it helps and that's, that's, but uh, look, uh, 
if there's anything I can ever do for you, Vicky, uh, I owe you one. And thank you very much. And uh, you're, I know your kids are, are due home from school. And, and thank you for your time. Have a great thank day. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much to Vicky Phelan. Uh, I love that chat. And um, it was a real pleasure to get to talk to her. Um, and I think I learned a thing or two about a thing or two. And I hope you did too. Uh, her book. Vicky Feeling Overcoming is out now in paperback. So go and buy it. Buy loads of them. Buy them for your friends for Christmas. Uh, buy five of them for each friend. That's what I would do. And uh, yeah, it was just a good chat. I thought she was very nice and warm. And I, I mean, it's hard to. I suppose my awkwardness going into it was like, where's where is somebody who's been given, um, you know, years a few years to live uh, a terminal illness diagnosis where are they at and she seemed to be in a good place i mean none of us know how long we have anyway so we might as well make the most of it and uh, i'm definitely i've definitely learned a lot from speaking to vicky um if you have any thoughts or questions and you'd like to direct them my way keithwalchpod at gmail.com is the email address. Feel free to ask me any questions. You can follow me on Instagram as well. Uh, you'll find me at Keith Walsh on Instagram. I think it's just Keith Walsh, dot Walsh on Instagram. I should find out for sure, shouldn't I? I'm sure you'll find me. And uh, yeah, give me a follow and direct message me if you have any questions about anything at all. And if I can't answer them, I'll point you in the right direction because it's good to talk. And that's what we're here for. Um, that's it for episode three. I gotta go and collect my son from school or bring the dog for a walk or I think my wife needed me to collect something from the printers so I should go and do that I actually I must tell you sometime soon about some cards that I've been drawing and I'm getting them printed up uh, called Keats cards they will be available to buy and uh, yeah I'll tell you about them in, in when when if you're lucky enough <laughs> if you're lucky enough I'll tell you about them soon you just you just calm down, relax. You just wait and be patient and I'll tell you about them. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. i got to sign off. Someday I'll get this signing off business. Down. Pat. Goodbye. I'll just go. Just stop talking at some stage. Just leave. Charlie. Charlie, you say something. Charlie. He's asleep. No help. No, I'm still here. I'm gone, yeah. I'm going now, definitely. No, you go. You you press stop first. No, you press stop first. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.